Welcome to the J2 Hub podcast, where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sahota, we bring you exciting real life property, business, and entrepreneurially related hot topics, and that little bit more. Welcome everyone to another episode of The Property Duo. This is episode two. Uh, I didn't even know this was a thing until James made the artwork and I was like, oh, we're doing a show now. So we're doing a show. Uh, so thank you for joining us, everyone who is live in the chat and those who are joining us on YouTube, Instagram, etc. Greetings to you too. Today, it's obviously still Corona time, as James likes to call it, like it's, like it's a party. Uh, but we want to update you on like how things are going on our end during corona james has had a a strange time with you know some problems with solicitors legal packs uh rent to rent payments so i think he's got some juicy information for us about his life and then we're going to talk about how to find good people because as james will show you one of his stories is a very good person and one of his stories is a total dickhead so we're going to show you how to discern the two so james what's going on Hi everyone. Yeah. So I'm going to start off first of all, obviously this rent to rent problem that I've had where I, I'll recap for everyone. So a few years ago, probably about seven or eight years ago, before I was in property full time, I've got a house close to where I live and I did a rent to rent on it. So I rented it out to an agent and he then set it up as a HMO and he lets it out to his own tenants. So now Everything was going well. It's been going well for about seven years. There's been the odd late payment. There's been the odd you know, kind of disturbance going on um, in the in the local area. And there's been issues with some of the tenants. But on the whole, it's been quite good. Now, recently, as soon as they announced this whole um, you don't have to pay or you can have a bit of a rent holiday during this coronavirus type thing, this is where we started seeing problems straight away. Now, I'm talking problems not like within a week or so, I'm talking like 36 hours later, tenants are phoning in and saying, hey man, I'm in the shit, I can't pay my rent. And I'm thinking, no, 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 I'm not buying this rubbish because you can't, a day and a half later, you can't pay your rent suddenly and you've just completed a full week at work. So alarm bells started ringing in my head, all sorts. And you know, I'm, I, I ain't gonna lie, I'm panicking a little bit because there's a considerable amount of rent that comes into this from this property. Um, and, and we make some decent money from it. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in the shit here. So I reach out to the agents and the agents are trying to give me all this bullshit by saying, uh, hey, no, you know, you know what the government's introduced, they don't have to pay you for three months, so we don't have to pay you for three months. Besides, if we're getting any money, we're using that money to cover our fees, cover our legals, sorry, cover our bills, cover all our HMO costs before we even pay you out a single penny. So I'm thinking. I'm a, I've got the shit end of the stick. I'm at the lowest pile, point of this pile here. Why am I right at the bottom when I'm the one who's providing you assholes with this house? Anyway, so I, I started going through this contract. I'm looking through this contract now and I'm thinking, they sent me a letter saying, okay, due to coronavirus, their rent to rent insurance has been cancelled. I'm thinking, okay, but it doesn't say that in my contract. I've sent this contract out to several people to have a look at and still no one can really make head or tail of it, but the general consensus was that they are still liable. So I started the whole thing off by chasing them, phoning them, uh, you know, trying to get a letter to them. First alarm bell started ringing when their email box was full and no further emails were going through. So I thought, right, this weekend, I thought, you know, I'm going to do my Sherlock Holmes thing. I'm going down to the office. 
I'm going to find out what's going on. You know, this is quite important business. I know they say you should only leave your house for quite important things. To me, this was this was a very important thing. So, you know, I'll get down to the office. Now, I'm shocked at what I saw. Now, I've already shared this with Tej, but I get to the window. The shutters are down, which I expected. There's a notice on the window, and I thought, oh, it's just going to say, due to coronavirus, we're closed. I was gobsmacked. I read this notice, and it said, Dear agents, we have been trying to get hold of you for X amount of time. We've emailed you. We've rang you. We've tried to call you, WhatsApp you, everything. We live in the following shared house. Luckily, it's not my shared house, so I'm, I'm quite happy about that. But nevertheless, the notice said, the tenant in room five has died and we don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm laughing about it now, but I was genuinely shocked. You know, I'm thinking, no, nah, how does this work? The tenant's dead. And these guys don't give a monkeys that someone's dead lying in the house. Do, do they really give a shit about me? And I thought that was it for me. It was like, no, they don't care. James, you are now definitely at the bottom of the pile. Way, way, way down. <laughs> so I get back home. And I tried to send them both text messages. And you know when you get that red X saying the message hasn't been delivered and your life's ending and you're thinking, oh, my God, these guys are gone, man. They've, you know, they pissed off back to Portugal. One's from Brazil, one's from Portugal. And I'm thinking, no, nah, man, now I'm in a bad position because I can't do nothing. So I eventually managed to get uh, one of the letters through by a WhatsApp message to one of them who blue ticked it and accepted it. Um, and, um, my, uh, my mum actually has her own property let with these same agents. So obviously when she found this out, she went full flip mode, you know, mum force came in. So this is what I've got to give it to her. Mum just comes in now and she goes in her accent, don't you worry. And she just happens to have this number on her phone from a while ago. I'm thinking, mum, whose number is this? She goes, I got Hassan number, I phoned him. And I'm thinking, mum, who's Hassan? He don't even work there. What are you going on about? She often makes this mistake, but lo and behold, she rings this number up and it's one of the agents. And I'm thinking to myself, no, mum's done it. She gets through to the agent. She gives him some shit. And I can hear her. She's, she's actually swearing at him. How can you do this? Says, you effing this, you effing this. <laughs> she goes, you accept my letter of termination and I want house back. And um, and he goes to my mum, he goes, listen, uh, Mrs. Hoda, we've, we've actually blocked James from contacting us because he's been bombarding us with messages, letters, emails and everything. But we are very much still trading. So that was a sigh of relief for me. But it still got me thinking that I do feel they're going to do a midnight moonlight because they've got a massive portfolio of, of landlords. And I know they're holding huge amounts of deposits because um, they're one of those guys that I don't believe they've held a lot of their deposits in deposit schemes, judging by some of the tenants they employ. So I'm, I'm very, very, very concerned on my next move. I did happen to dig out a tenant's number and I called him and, you know, this guy was a, he was a funny old character. I was saying to Ted, he was some Jamaican man. And first of all, he had a go at me for phoning him. And secondly, he started telling me all the things that were wrong in the house. Like I was shocked. I mean, I went to the house about six months ago and there was a hole in the ceiling there was a leak coming from the toilet waste pipe down onto the fridge, which is just nasty and unacceptable. So I said to the agents, listen, you need to fix this. This guy goes to me, they haven't fixed it. There's shitty water dripping on the fridge and it's fucked up the fridge. 
how you expect us to pay rent. So now it's all coming clear. So now I'm beginning to see what's actually going on in this house uh, and why there's been an issue with payment. But so that's been my week pretty much. And the disaster now is how do I get my house back? Um, and um, I don't know if you've seen that guy, that little guy, Paul Champlini on Landlord Services over on uh, mm. on, on that TV program, uh, Rogue Landlords and Tenants. So I got in contact with his firm. He's like, no worries, James. Here's my fees. I'll sort it out for you. I'll review all your paperwork. I'll get them out. But I can't, he goes, I can't do anything to the 26th of July, he was saying, which is the time when he can serve something. But he was talking about putting everything in place right now and and, and getting things moving. So um, that's been pretty much my uh, my biggest disaster of this week and how I'm going to deal with it and how really what to do because the worst thing is when i look out my window i can see the house i can see the people sitting in the living room watching tv i can see them leaving for work because they're contractors and i think to myself man you know and i can't approach them because i've been legally advised not to approach them talk to them because what that would mean is i will adopt them tenants as my tenants and then i need to do a double eviction one on the landlord sorry one on the agency and then one on each individual uh, a tenant so for once in my life I'm listening to what uh, the solicitor said and just taking a step back and walking out of my house every morning biting my bottom lip thinking how can I make it difficult for these guys what can I do so they just leave the house and I'm just you know what just bite my bottom lip it's the first disaster that's happened of this kind in the last seven years so there's yeah a few, so, there's quite a few things in there which <laughs> firstly why weren't you checking up on the house more regularly Good point, Ted. Very, very good point, mate. You know, it was, I've had this house for a long, long time. I've had it for about 11 years now. And it's been one of those ones that has just worked. You know, it's just mm. worked every month. The rent's coming. Give or take a few days, the rent being late. Once or twice a year, the agent's ringing me and saying, oh, there's a major bit of work to do or there's this to do. Other than that, it's one of those properties, you know, like you, where you just let and forget. This was yeah. literally let forget don't even look at it don't even want to walk in they don't want to see it don't want to hear about it it was one of the best ones in the portfolio but you're right i should have been making more inspections like some of my newer stuff i'm in constant contact with the tenants because i want to know firsthand if there's problems but with these guys i think due to the nature of tenant in there as well there's a high turnaround and you're right i should have that's my biggest mistake i should have been making regular checkups yeah because i think whilst it wouldn't have avoided your rent to rent as being idiots it would have potentially mean that when you called that tenant, he was like, oh, hey, we love living here. And then it's a different discussion. But that's a minor point. But I guess it's just something for people listening is like, even if you have an agent, and especially when you're self-managing, like when a piece of work is done, it's like with builders, I don't pay until there's a picture or a video of every single, you know, I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not paying you, simple. And they know that. So it's not even an argument. Same with like agents. If they send, if I ever, ever use an agent's person, which I don't, I'm saying you're not getting paid till I see it and I want pictures of the freaking brackets you've used to screw the shit in because I'm not paying you till I see it because I'm not local. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, the fact that they blocked you because you were bombarding them is just pathetic because what do they expect you to do when their shop is shut? There's a dead tenant in one of their houses and they're not like, like it just doesn't like they're, they're being pathetic and it's not like a valid example. It's not like you were bombarding them and there was no coronavirus, you're literally doing what anyone would do. So like you said, they're definitely going to leave. They're definitely going to take all these rents and they're going to fuck off. Like I've, I have, 
I don't know them, but I have no doubt in my head that in a month we're going to do this and you're going to be like, yeah, Ted's there on a beach and they're living off everyone's deposits. Like, I have no uncertainty about that. But if they had not registered deposits with like a registered thing, isn't it a criminal offence or is it a company offence? You can definitely do something about your suspicion. Uh, when it comes to firing them or like, yeah, like evicting them, <clears throat> they've reneged on their contract by not paying you rent. So mm. by nature of that, I'm pretty sure you can get rid of them and sue them and you're fine. But I'm not a solicitor, but that's what it would suggest to me, right? See, my plan at the moment now is a contract. Where they've written the contract, somebody's legally said to me they haven't actually put the limited uh, bit on their name and they haven't referenced a company name, which means you could go after them as a dual partnership and pursue pursue them singly. So that's what I've done. This is, I think, where they're getting a little bit prang, where I've served them with notices on their individual names. Because mm. I thought to myself, okay, I know you both live in very, very nice houses because I've seen your houses, <laughs> you know. Um, I'm thinking, if I'm personally pursuing you and I know you've got some mortgages, loans, nice cars on tick at those addresses, you're going to be very, you're going to be more inclined to do something about this when mm-hmm. a statutory demand arrives for me petitioning for you to go bankrupt. Because if you don't respond to it within 21 days, you know, it lands straight in a court. And it's, it's one of those things where if you've ever had a stat demand served on you, I've had a few in my time, you <laughs> shit yourself, you know? That brown envelope arrives with that crested thing. If you've not had one, the first time you had one, you're like, what the hell, man? This, this letter becomes a priority. You need to deal with this shit because if you don't, you're soon in trouble. And if it goes to a bankruptcy petition in a court or a winding up hearing... It's going to cost you some serious wonga to get your barrister down, represent you. And if you don't turn up, they're just going to wind, you know, set it for a petition to make you bankrupt. So I think those are my roots. But what I, want, what I don't want to do right now is because everything's so sensitive with mm. Corona, I don't want to make the wrong mistakes. You know? I don't want to mm. like, do something that I'm going to regret. So I'm taking a step back thinking, look, I've got a bit of time on my hand. Let me just play it by the right right means and speak to the right people before I go ahead and get the guns out and start shooting. Yeah, I think just for everyone who doesn't know what a statute demand is, this is not legal advice. We're not legal professionals. Just a disclaimer here before you get sued. Uh, it's essentially like a method of a 21-day demand for someone to pay you money they owe you. Uh, you have to serve it under certain conditions. Often it has to be, <clears throat> it has to be like the highest postage that's signed in the back in the days i think it used to be face to face like james said sometimes it has a crest on it because it's like it's a bit of a nuke in a way uh because like james said if you there's only certain conditions you can serve it under and certain and and when you fill it in you have to fill in certain things correctly like you can do it yourself and there's lots of guides on the internet but if you fill in one thing incorrectly you could wait 21 days and then it could be like you're a dickhead because you you missed one thing and it's not actually valid anymore. So you have to be careful with statutory demands. James has had them and served them. I've served one before it worked. Uh, it is a nice, powerful way to get stuff done legally instead of, oh, dear sir, madam, can you please pay the money? It's like you have to do certain things beforehand as well. You have to follow certain protocols or else when you get to court, they'll say you didn't do the right steps. But when you deliver it, it's great because like James said, if they go to court, like the court can just make them bankrupt if they, and it could be a small amount of money, but they could still just strike them bankrupt. So it's quite, it's quite powerful. Um, and what you said there, James, is really important that 
going after them as individuals. That's like, this is going to sound rude or whatever, but that's the aim. Like <clears throat> if someone is being a dickhead like this through their company and they're stupid enough to not use the limited liability that a company gives you, which is so stupid. If they put that on there, they could dissolve the company and you ain't, you ain't, you ain't got a chance in hell. But they didn't. And what this means is that when people do stupid things like this and then they do stupid things like not paying your rent and you go after them as an individual, it's a lot scarier and it's a lot more painful. And you, the buck stops with them. There's no, like, you know, it stops with them and their assets. So, you know, you're in a pretty good situation. And, you know, for people like watching, you don't have to have a solicitor necessarily to read these contracts. But like James said, send it to a few people, send it to one of us, maybe not James, because his, his legal pack contractual skills have been proven before. <laughs> you can send it to me. Um, and uh, we can have a look without PI insurance. It's not legal advice. Uh, and, you know, you, you can do things like this, which are really important. So that's it's sort of happening. And I think there's lessons from that, you know, check up on things more often, understand the little nuances of like legal protection, because you're even more protected than I thought you were at first, which is awesome. Uh, and have people in your network that can help in these situations, right? And have a mum who has the guy's number, I think is the most important <laughs> lesson. Like get, get mums involved. <laughs> so that was one story. Now you have another story, which actually shows how good someone is and then uh you know like what would you what is that scenario where someone's actually been really really helpful for you uh well last week we we needed to get some independent legal advice now um obviously with everything going on at the moment um lenders are having to work in a different way and a few of them were like okay look we'll accept a video recording of of a signature being witnessed as uh as your independent legal advice but Although that was quite a good thing, what I found was the couple of solicitors that I spoke to, they were saying, look, James, it's still within risk of our own insurance because it's at our own risk that we're doing that. So we would still prefer not to do it. Even though we know who you are, we've been working with you for a number of years. What we don't want to do is sign it and there's a problem and it goes on our insurance uh, and it causes a problem. So I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to get around this? Because I've got a refinance going on at the moment. I need this money to drop. And this little tiny bit of paperwork is holding us up. So he comes up with a suggestion. Now, I've got to rate this guy. I've been working with this solicitor for a long time. I've been working with him since he was a junior in a firm that he worked at. And I remember him being a T-boy. You know, people used to take the piss out of this guy, like literally. You can imagine, this is a solicitor's practice with probably about 15, 20 Indian men. And this guy is the junior. So you can see what happens at 11 o'clock. He... <laughs> He was the tea boy, like literally go and make the tea, even though he's fresh out of law school. You know, he really rode the ride anyway. So we've been with him since he was a trainee. And now the guy has his own place, employs about 20 staff. And he's just a fantastic guy. And he's still as good as he was back then. So he calls me up and he goes, look, I've got an idea. And I'm thinking, shit, what's this idea, man? This sounds good. He goes, what I'm going to do is he goes, because I've got elderly parents, I'm not coming out during the day because I'm going to be in contact with more people. He comes to my house at 10.30 at night and he goes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand outside. I want you to stand two metres from the car. He's got one of these little extendy thingies, you know, the ones that they pick the rubbish up with. <laughs> he, he literally pops the paper out like that. Yeah, and he goes, make sure you've got your own pen because you're not using our pen. Pops it to us and we kind of sign it and 
he literally pops it back in again and does his thing and hands us his paperwork. And I thought, man, that is what you call service. I'm sorry, man, that, you know, he's gone out of his way knowing that he's got elderly parents to risk it because he wanted to provide a service. Now, I thought, I've got other firms that are just like, oh, you know, due to COVID, we're not working, we're not doing this. I thought, listen, all you guys are taking a piss. When it's your own hustle, you know this guy's going to go out of his way to get that job done. And you got to remember, I asked him for this at five o'clock in the afternoon at 10.30 at night. He's at my house sorting it out, which meant the following morning, it's with the solicitor and we've got what we need. We've got that final bit of paperwork because everyone who's done a refinance will know independent legal advice seems to throw a lot of people all the time. It's this damn little piece of paperwork that just needs to be signed. And I've seen people quoted so much money before. I remember remember the first one I did for bridging. Uh, I remember speaking. I remember speaking to Theo about it. And I said to Theo, "I said, Theo, my solicitor's quote quoted me twelve hundred quid for it." And he was like, "What the?" He goes, "What? Twelve hundred quid? This, he goes, this should be no more than a few hundred quid." And I'm thinking, "What? This guy's trying to cream it." And he was trying to tell me that it was cheap. But anyway, point being, this guy came around and done it. He put an extra hundred pound on it, which I was happy to pay because he had to go from his house to his office to stamp the paperwork. Then he had to come from his office to my house. And, you know, it's a bit of a mission, but that is an example of a very, very good person. Now, I'm not going to forget that, you know, and I've got several bits of little bits of legal things that need to be done. And I know he's sitting at home and I've just been firing it to him and he's still making money sitting at home. But would I have given it to him if he hadn't gone that extra mile on what he did last week? Probably not. So, you know, there are some really, really good people during this time that are really going uh, above and beyond to get stuff done. How much did he charge you for that? He would normally charge me around 200, 200 pounds. This time he charged me an extra hundred pounds to drive the five miles to his office, then, then the 10 miles out to me. Boy, petrol's like. expensive where you are, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I th- <laughs> you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say that, yes, he was fantastic and that's great. But I've never heard about... I'm going I'm to be devil's advocate this morning. I've never heard about this video going on the insurance every time i've done ila i've only had to pay for it once or twice because i couldn't for bridging because i couldn't physically get to my solicitor in wales but my sister firm has two or three partners and like seven solicitors so when i get ila even with like bridging with together so john is my solicitor so he does the paperwork with me he leaves the room olivia whatever comes in she does the ila with me and we're done. And that costs nothing. So my bridging fee is like, I don't know, they give it to me for like 800 plus VAT. That includes the ILA. So when, when you talk to me and other people say, oh, like, where do I get ILA? I'm like, from your same like solicitor firm, I think if you're not, if you're working with a small firm who haven't got X number of partners, et cetera, et cetera, then yeah, you have to get it elsewhere. But I assumed wrongly that the standard was ILA comes with it. Like with one of your solicitors, Sandeep, who you referred me to, I was like, listen, this is how much I'm, I'm willing to pay, but the ILA has to be within it. He was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And I was like, cool. So it, it's one of these things like, even with a remortgage, I know we both used, was it foundation on this one? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I've always, at least in the past five months, done video uh, ILAs with foundation. And the firm had never mentioned insurance or anything like this and they're they're like a property specialist firm so they would they would let me know but they've just been like yeah they said we can do video we'll do video um and i think for land reg i had to get a physical just a neighbor 
because Landridge are based in 1960 to do it. But I think next time, save yourself 300 quid and say, explain to me this in short. I know he's your boy and he, you know, but I went out of his way and he used to be Jaiwala. Now he's just the man. But like, I think, and this is for everyone listening, you don't need to get independent legal advice. It can be from a different solicitor or a different partner in the firm and you don't need to pay for it. And a lot of lenders, not bridges, well, some will, uh, will accept it over video, which makes it so much easier. Like I'm not going to Wales every remortgage. Like that's just a myth. So big up to the guy. But I think my lesson from that is you can do it without the cost Go on, James, say something. Yeah, yeah, but on the same token, Ted, you know, you're known for breaking people's balls. You know, you're <laughs> known for busting them for a discount. You know, I know you've used that line in the past before. I'll give you a big up on my podcast, you know. And and the bottom line is when you're, obviously we're dealing with a lot larger amounts here as well. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah. 300 quid is minor when you're going for X amount when you just need the job done. But don't get me wrong. If it was a smaller amount and I could save myself that money, of course I would, man. Come and look at me. I'm an Indian. I want to <laughs> save money. A hundred percent. But the thing is, right, a lot of the fees that I get, yeah, they are cheaper, but I know, and this is something for everyone, this is really powerful about having data or having a podcast or having reach, is that I know the money that they haven't charged me for certain things, I've made them more than that already. So I don't feel like, you know, some people are, oh, don't you feel bad? I'm like, no, because... I've made up for that and more because I've given them a lifetime of customers with no affiliate fee. Like one of my solicitors, I was chatting to him. I was like, look, I need a JV agreement. I'm getting quoted anywhere from like a grand to six grand. I was like, this is madness. Yeah. I know. And I mean, him a very open. I said, look, I know it's like a stock template. You just make it all legal. You put it on your insurance. You know what I mean? He was like, yeah, to be honest, they, they are just stock. You know, we just charge a lot for them. And I was like, look, what if me and the guy give you everything you need? Like we give you every single clause that we want. Like we just, we just want you to legal, legalify it, legalize it. And he said, look, Hedge, if you do all that, you know, I'll do it for nothing. And when nothing, he means like 200 quid or something like that for a document they normally charge two grand for. Wow. Might be thinking, why is someone giving this discount? Because I've introduced him now to someone who buys one or two houses a month of much higher value than me. So already he's made that back. I've introduced him to like four people who've used him. He's made it back. And I couldn't have said this to you six months ago, right? Like I couldn't have said, yeah, I've made them X amount of money because I hadn't. But it's like, it's powerful because when you have good people who understand the power, I mean, it's maths as well, right? Say they give me a hundred pound off every conveyancing and I introduce them to someone and they charge them more than they charge me, which they do sometimes all I need is one or two people to make that back. So on the topic of good people, when you have good people work with them because like they will look at if they, you know, depends on how they like, but they will look at the bigger picture, which is there's more money, you know, coming from this one person than there is from just them. A lot of, a lot of investors, not the same people in our sort of community, but just in, in life will buy one house every, every year, every few months they won't bring any business. It'll just be like, got a house, do the conveyancing, take six months to buy a house, done. Whereas when you come along and say, hi, there's 10 people here who are going to use you in the next few months, it adds a different level, which, and then when some people say, nah, I'm not about that, then it's your decision to work with them or not. But just to, just to caveat your point there and just to show people that when you get good people and you can work with them, they can win 
probably more than you're winning in this situation. And you'll get mm-hmm. better benefits that are not money, like quicker conveyancing. Uh, like, you know, one of my sisters said, Tej, look, when you're buying a house, send me the legal pack. Look, I'm not going to go through it in detail. It's not official. It's not on my, you know, it's just going to be, Tej, I've had four minutes look at it. You're okay. Go for it. And something like that, which saves 150, 400 pounds per legal pack, some people charge, is is pretty epic, right? Like, again, because of relationships, just like with your guy, how many solicitors would do that? Even if you paid them, how many would do that? I can't think of, I actually can't think of one who would. No, not many. I think I agree with you. Where you say good people, I think it's all about putting together your power team, you know, and these certain people fall within your power team. And then it's the same people you call on when you need them. And you know, you can think, okay, I've got two weeks on this one. I can go to, you know, matey down the road who's going to charge me X amount, or I've got 24 hours on this one. Look, let me look down my power team and think, okay, this guy will, you know, get it done for me. Mm. So where you say good people, I'd refer to it as your power team. And every, I think everyone in property needs a power team. And I think most of the people would have a power team and that would include solicitors, you know, builders, plumbers, electricians, whatever. And you know, you've got a massive bank of people you can refer to. And then within that team, you've always got the, the cream of the crop that sit at the top that do everything for you and will break, you know, bend over backwards to get stuff done for you. Cream of the crop that sit at the top. I like That's that. It, that, should be, you like that it? should be that should be like the tagline for our next I'm um, put, episode. I'm putting it on a t-shirt, bro. <laughs> That's actually sick. Uh, so, speaking of good people, are you happy to talk about your other or your same solicitor who's dealing with what we spoke of? You know, we, so everyone who wasn't here last week, we spoke about a purchase that you did of a flat for twenty four thousand pounds. Yeah, yeah, madness. All the London listeners. I know what you're thinking, just like, what is, that's not even a deposit for like a garage in anywhere. But you bought a house, you bought a flat for 24 grand. It was leasehold. Uh, did you read the legal pack? Yeah, arguably not. Uh, of not. Properly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like buying a second-hand car, isn't it? You just have a quick brief freak look at, you know, you might, you think I might lose, I might not. I'll take a gamble on this one. Okay, everyone. So you know what uh, James is like there. So you bought this flat uh, and it, I had to look, look at the legal pack for you and it was, it was what it was. Your solicitor looked at it and what is now happening with that? Give everyone an update on that. Well, so the solicitor's looked at it and he, <laughs> I'm laughing because this thing just gets worse. And worse. Well, it doesn't get worse. It's just like there's an, it's a bit like EastEnders. It's just every episode there's something funny coming up. Anyway, so he had a look at it and he emailed me a couple of days ago. He goes, look, um, I just want to make you aware that these guys who are selling the flat and when they've, or the house, when they've put it into auction, there's certain things that they haven't done. So alongside the contract, they, they should have submitted a, a proper lease for it. There isn't a proper lease for it. Mm-hmm. And there's a few other headline and you know, we were talking about the headline lease. There's a few other things that the solicitor has picked up on. I say a few things. This email was about 12 different points on saying that you haven't done this, you haven't done this, you haven't done this, you haven't done this, you haven't done this. And right at the end, he goes, which is now going to lead me to serve you a county court thing for being in breach. And I do not want my client proceeding with this. And I want you to give him back his deposit and give him back his fees. And I'm thinking... I haven't, you got to remember now, I haven't asked my solicitor to do this. As far as I'm thinking, I think, you know what? I'm going to carry on going through with this. And this is, again, this is another really good person in my team, uh, another good solicitor that I've been using for years and years and years that just has your best interest. He's actually gone forward 
and try to get out of that purchase because he feels there's certain things wrong within it, which could end up costing a lot more money to put right. Now, when I asked him, I said, what do you think the likelihood is of this swinging our way and we just walk away with it unhurt? And he goes, I reckon it's 60-40 our way. And I'm thinking, wow, because any, you know, when you buy something at auction, the minute the paddle, you know, the hammer's gone down, that's it. And I know that because mm. I bought a few things in the past. But I'm thinking here, I might just let this guy run with this and see if he can wingle his way out of it because this would make a really, really good podcast on how to get out of an auction purchase if you ever need to, you know? But obviously, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say do that because most of the time the contracts are watertight. But when I sent him through the sales memorandum, he said there should have been some extra bits attached to this. He goes, the fact that they've signed it and you signed it and it's one page and all it talks about is the price is, is something that uh, we may be able to pull back on. So as far as I'm concerned... At the moment, we're still going for a completion, but he has put that to them. And for the last three or four days, their solicitor has, has gone from being quite abrupt and rude to just silence, nothing. So I'm thinking, damn, my London boy's got you, boy. He's got you, Northerners. <laughs> that, is, that is so interesting. Like, it's fascinating. Like, law is so fascinating. But like, what's more important, again, going back to good people, is that your solicitor has auction experience, has enough experience to know what you know a legal pack and this county you know should look like it's interesting because him trying to serve i mean you're going to send me the email hopefully so i can read it but sending serving whatever he's serving on whatever these wrong clauses are it's interesting because if you look at the auction guidelines which are this long and this tiny in font a lot of it basically says, like you said, once the hammer goes down, you're fucked and it get fucked. Like literally is what it says, which is fine. That's, that's auction. So if he can, if he can claw it back, that will be, I mean, that'll be a case for it. That'll be on his armor, mate. That'll be like a little badge because that's freaking, and to get the fees back from the auction house. Uh, because again, they're going to say, we're not liable. You exchanged. When you exchange, you say you read the legal pack. I don't think you'll get your auction fees back, but I don't know, but, I know what, and I know, I think I know which auction house it is and I know sort of what they're like. Uh, you know, I don't think they're gonna, oh, can we mute, can we mute this thing? Mute it. Have you muted it? Um, I don't think we're gonna, I mean, it'd be really interesting to see what happens. Um, and the fact he sent it without asking you is interesting because, well, he's, he's putting your best interest and in his insurance at, at the core of it, right? Because, if he doesn't do that, you can sue him, right? You know what? I, I feel like conveyancing and solicitors, it's just all about insurance, even valuations, everything and lenders. It's just insurance. It's like, okay, how can I stay insured? How can I keep insured? How can I protect myself? It's like politics. Such bollocks, mate. I'm sick of it. I'm, I'm done. I'm done, mate. But yeah, he's, a great, think- he's, a, he's a great guy, man. I've been, I'm thinking back now and he's saved me a lot of money in the past and he's saved my ass a lot of times in the past with a few things. And I think, you know, Yes, he is more expensive than certain people where you get a quote from several people and you think, oh, mate, you down the road. I've not used him before, but he's 400 quid cheaper. But then I'm thinking to myself, you know, when, when certain things like this happen and he really, really saves your ass. It's like, mm. with my, um, it's like with my accountant. People say to me, James, why do you pay your accountant 500 quid a month? I say, I pay my accountant 500 quid a month. Yeah, see your eyes there. They just went, <laughs> eh? I'll tell you why. Because 
he is there 24 hours a day for me. I've spoken to the guy, you know, at two o'clock in the morning. And last year he saved me £47,000 on a CGT bill that was due because there was a legal loophole, a creative loophole that he created. And I thought to myself, this is what makes a difference than using, you know, Rana and Co or Jaga and Co on the high school <laughs> who charge you like, Give me fifteen hundred pounds for the year. I'll do your books, or you have someone who knows tax. You know someone who knows it, and can you know and save you when you really, really need them. It, it goes back to saying, going back to that whole thing of your power team and having the right little people sitting on your shoulders advising you. Because, Ted, I'm a creative. I don't want to listen. To, I don't want to read legal bits. I don't want to read legal jargon like you've seen. I want to leave that to the professionals and pay them to give me the right advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. And I think most people are sort of of the nature where they don't want to read legal documents and they don't want to. But I think, and you, which you do, everyone needs a basic understanding because let's say you had no clue yeah, and you're going to auction, you had five lots you were bidding on. That's five times 150 to probably 300 quid per pack. You could win none of them or they could all be junk, but it could only take you opening the first or second document for you to be like, actually, this is a no-go. And sometimes it's just as simple as reading searches. If you've got a mine shaft within 20 meters and it's in the front garden, then you need to call your broker and say, look, who will lend on this? If you've got knotweed, call your broker. So sometimes it's not even the legal legalities. It's just the actual, it's the searches or it's things like that. So speaking of good people, before we go into the main topic, I just want to share some updates for from coronavirus. Uh, so, all of my rent has been paid in full. You lucky git. Um, I woke up this morning and my tradesman was calling me because he couldn't get at 8.45. I don't know why he thought I'd be awake then. Uh, <laughs> it's bloody it's holiday time. And uh, he and I was just like, yeah, what's going on? Do you need my card details? And then he was like, no, you can't find me. I uh, can't find slates, man. That's Northern. He's not Northern. He's Welsh. Uh, and then anyways, looked at my phone and I was like, oh, rent received four days early i was like big things and then rent received on my other property on time and my other property on time and only one tenant has lost his job he works with horses but he's jumping on uc and going to get like work at a supermarket in like you know they're hiring for just anyone and everyone so which is quite fortunate uh and i'm going to obviously thank them all and like have calls with them and just you know give them the source because i'm self-managing but Good news from coronavirus. Other than that, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit bored, I must say. Netflix has increased in terms of how much is being watched, which, you know, not ideal, but there we go. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, because last time we gave a little update, um, I managed to complete on a property, which I think when we spoke was sort of going to be delayed. Uh, but now it, it it's changed from being delayed which we completed on a, when did we complete on it? Yesterday with your solicitor that you recommended to me. Um, and yeah, it's, what was your experience like with him? You know what he, <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I ask is because I've recommended him to a few people. Some people love him and some people just can't stand him. You know what? He's, he's, he's very posh, which to be honest, does make me giggle a bit, you know, like I'm just a bit of a, I just like, I just like hearing him speak. Cause he's so, he's, he's just so, Oh, Oh yeah. 
unpalpable task I've had to do, Ted. On it, you know, and it just makes me laugh because, like, <laughs> so I mean, okay, I know if he was my regular solicitor, potentially would annoy me, mm-hmm. but he did his job. He spotted details, which I didn't spot. And like we needed, um, he, he was diligent. I think he took too long in the first thing, but like you said, gave him a little, and then he was on it. Uh, and actually he was, he was bloody quick, you know, in terms of responding to me. So, and he was local and the price was the same. Was it the same? Yeah. The same as my Welsh solicitors, which when you think about it, Wales. Oh, no, 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 no. It was, it, it was the same <clears throat> once you beat him up on the price. No, once I had a friendly discussion with him and said, I know what you, no, I didn't say that, but look, I've seen what, what solicitors do for bridging and I did the work. I signed every document. I scanned it. I like, you know what I mean? I was just like, look, Bios. I said to him, look, I will bring you more business, which I will, because I have so many people around who live around me because he lives near me who are like, Ted, who, do, uh, who can we use local? It's good. Mm. And like you said, it's Rana and Co on the high street and they're idiots. So at least now I can say, look, I've used someone locally. So as James, you can trust them, which again is more likely to get him more business because people trust us. Uh, so yeah, that deal completed yesterday. Yesterday, Builders are in now, or Builder is in now. Wow. And I got one more completing, which is that leasehold one, which you, which you got me the funding for, big up, in, in about a week or two. So... Yeah, things are cool. We just can't find any roofing slates. So it's, uh, yeah, it is what it is. So that's my update from coronavirus. Uh, coronavirus! So, James, back to the topic of, of good people. A, a lot of what people ask, right, especially people who are newer to property, they say, like, how do you find, let's say, let's say a mortgage broker. How do you find a mortgage broker that you trust and how do you know to trust them like how was your how's your experience being with mortgage brokers so the first time i got a mortgage was when i was uh probably when i was 24 when i bought my first house that's going back some time now yeah and at that time you're kind of like it's very very new to you so nine times out of ten you're probably going to go with the recommended broker that the say the the agent selling the house would recommend to you or you're just going to try and find someone very very local to you but I think what happens over time is you start to learn the process a little bit more. Now, my advice would be to anybody who's trying to find a broker or trying to find someone who arranges a mortgage for you is to understand the whole process of a mortgage. What are the different stages they go through? Don't let people feed you a load of shit because it's very, very easy when when it's a first time buyer. You're very excited about buying a house. So you're disregarding all that other legal nonsense, yeah? You're just thinking, damn, man, I want to get my house. I want to get in there. I want to hang my TV, make it look all good. You're not worried about looking at the mortgage product. You're not worried about looking at the interest rate, what the best product is for you. My advice would be take one step back. There's so much information available now, yeah? Have a look. Just work out. Just type into Google, what are the steps that a solicitor takes? What are the steps that this person takes? So you can then start getting some kind of idea on how how they're billing you. Don't just go with the first product because it's generally going to be the wrong one. Now, my other advice would be is definitely get a broker. A broker is going to have such an array of products on the market. Whereas if you're going to the high street, they're limited to the two or three products that they can um, 
uh, that they can um, send to you. <laughs> I'm reading your message here, man. <laughs> it's making me laugh. You're a joker. <laughs> anyway, go go to a broker because a broker is going to have a, a, a massive array of products. Now, for me, I work with one broker and one broker only. Having said that, I am going to give Shaz, our boy, a chance, you know, to see if he can get in. But my broker, we've been friends since we were 13. He runs a wealth management company. He works with some really high um, net worth individuals. And I think the only reason why he still works with me is because we're mates. And, it's, <laughs> and, and he holds all my details on file and he's and pretty quick to put the mortgages through. Now, again, like with my solicitor, I can trust him uh, completely because I know he's going to give me the best product. And I think a good broker should charge you a fee. Yeah, now people say, oh, he's getting his fee through the mortgage advisor. Now think about it. If your broker wasn't charging you a fee, he's not really going to work for you because if he's got product one here that's going to make him four grand or he's got product two here that's going to make him two grand, which one do you think he's going to give you? He's going to give you you know, the one that's going to make him four grand because it's for him. So for me, I always pay my broker a fee. Now, even though we're friends, there's been times where when the mortgage has been offered, that's when I pay my fee. There's been times when a mortgage has been offered and um, I haven't gone through with it for whatever reason, but I still paid him his fee because I've acknowledged all the work his team has done. Mm. You know, So my advice, find yourself a broker, pay your broker a fee because your broker is working for you at the end of the day. Yeah, Don't just... Um, don't just go for the cheapest product. Don't just go for the first product you find. And it's a relationship thing. You know, it's going to take time to find the broker that's good for you, the one that works. Now, for me, it's got to a point now where I can just WhatsApp my broker and say, look, I'm looking at this deal. Can you sort it for me? Half an hour later, there's two or three illustrations. This is the best one for you, James. Let's go. All my IDs are there. Everything's there. I don't have to go through all the, you know, the heartache of providing all this stuff because I've got so many mortgages going through. My mortgages are, you know, our, our details are updated every three or four months anyway on the system. And, and it just works really, really nicely. Mm, I think that's a really good point. Like, it, it, I, won't, I won't repeat what you said, but I'll add to it. I think when it comes to bridging, I like to go direct to bridges because in my humble opinion, when you're buying buy to let and the bridge is straightforward, there's no development, mezzanine, when it's just literally high on buying a buy to let, or I'm buying like a normal house, I need a bridge on it. In my opinion, I find it a lot easier to go straight to the bridging lender. And in fact, I think all bridging lenders, apart from maybe Interbay, because they're part of Ken or something like that, maybe they won't go direct, but most of them will work with you directly. And so you save a broker fee, which for bridging, I've heard brokers charge like a thousand pounds, which, and again, brokers in, in the chat, if you're in here, you're not going to like it. But it's not really worth it because bridging is honestly like it's so simple when you're buying normal vanilla houses or, or just a house because you know you're getting 75 percent or whatever of purchase price rates you negotiate on fees you negotiate on like the, the kind of the information and details they need are the same if my broker says i need id and a form filled out well so does the bridger so what is the point of a middle person so for bridging I always say go direct. And if you want introducing to a bridger, feel free to ask one of us. Uh, when it comes to brokers, though, one thing that I notice is that so many brokers in their marketing or marketing, should I say, will say we're a whole of market broker. We access all the lenders. Everyone is a fucking whole of market broker. 
I've literally not met one lender, one broker, sorry, who's not hold of market. So it's like saying, hi, I'm Ted, I'm a human. It's like, of course you fucking are, mate. Like, so when someone says, oh, I'm whole of market, don't get caught up in that as some sort of speciality. Like, yeah, there might be some who are not, but, you know, basically everyone is, and it's like a basic tick that you should have. What matters more than that is, okay, your whole of market or your sum of market, what relationships have you got with those lenders? Because I know certain brokers who have, you know, worked with their BDMs in previous capacities. I know some lenders who are texting the underwriter uh, brokers. I know some brokers who are new and don't have relationships yet. I know some, you know, so that matters more because if your broker can just text the underwriter and say, look, mate, we've got an application coming in, unsure about this, what you reckon? And the underwriter goes, as the person who's signing it off, here's my feedback over text or on a little call. It helps you so much because you can then change the application or not go with that lender or save yourself time and effort. So the relationships within that matter a lot more than who they know right uh, another thing which again speaking of shaz my broker and who you know as well and who people so, sorry know, Ted, I, just to add to that point where you said about relationships now i think that's a very good point because my broker he was saying to me i was speaking to him a couple of weeks ago and he was like oh look i'm having lunch with the guy who creates products for paragon you know or i'm having lunch with the guy who creates the actual products that say foundation home loans put out there so he's responsible for creating the product so i think when your broker has that level of relationship with someone when your case is very very complex or it needs a little bit of a let's just overlook this slight little bit or can we overlook this if your broker can speak to the person in the firm that creates the damn products you don't get much higher than that i'm sorry and this is where my broker somebody asked in the chat there how much does your broker charge you mine charges me 550 pounds for everything he does for each application, I would happily pay him that each time because I know I'm getting the best advice, best service and the best product for me. Yeah. And I think, you know, you said, what is, Sandy said, no, Moed said, what is a reasonable fee for bridging? I don't believe there's any reasonable fee on normal buy to lets. When you go into complex bridging, they're probably going to charge you a percentage or about a grand, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more. Uh, so yeah, it, <sighs> I mean, I pay my broker less than what uh, James said, but... I'm not surprised. It, but, <laughs> but it's still an amount that I believe is fair for the work done. Um, but also, like James said, I'm happy to pay certain amounts because, well, if the work's getting done and it's pain-free for me and I can just WhatsApp an address and we get a mortgage, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm not having to do much. So, it, it, yeah, it, I don't really mind. Uh yeah, do you know so, where you said about where you said about bridging? Just one point on that. Going direct with a bridger, I got a big up Theo on this because he actually my first bridge that I did with together, he put me in touch. Now, just to give you uh, give you an example, I contacted together directly here in London through London. So I must have gone through some different routes uh, to get the business development manager that I did. Theo put me in a recommendation with his guy, who's called Bob the Bridge. <laughs> What a name, eh? Bob the Bridge. Well, we've called him Bob the Bridge. I don't think he's called Bob the Bridge. But anyway, so looking at the same product they put through for me here in London or going through a recommendation, mate, there was a huge difference in the price. So going direct to the broker or getting an introduction to a um, to a bridging person or a BDM in a bridging company is what Theo did for me. And it saved me, you know, it saved me about £100, no, about £90 a month on the payment 
which when you're thinking you got a bridge for 15 months, that's a lot, man. You're thinking these London boys were trying to shaft me. The minute I went up north and spoke to Bob the Bridge, it was perfect. Now, the relationship I now have with Bob the Bridge is like, if you're looking at a deal, you ring him, you say, look, Bob, this is the deal. What do you think? And he think, yeah, we can make that happen. And you think that is all you need when you've got someone like that on your side, especially a bridger saying, mm. I'll lend you the money, you know? And then this particular, one of my deals that fell out of bed, which is a new build in London for the land and the build, he said, I can lend you 75% of it. So this is to buy the land and to do the works. And he was going to roll it up over 24 months. You get better than that? No, you don't. What a deal, eh? I, I think like... Apparently, Bob the Bridge is no longer building bridges. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> has, he, has he gone to a better place? Has he gone, has he, he's gone to somewhere like Roma. I'm joking. Uh, no, they've got their doors closed at the moment, haven't they? Oh, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Um, I hope so, he isn't dead. Yeah, I hope, I hope that wasn't an ominous message. Dio, can you please clarify what you mean by that? Because that's like you're upsetting us, man. Uh, yeah, I think that's really important. Relationships are important. Uh, I'm the same with Together. Like, I just send an address... And then they just instruct legals and whatever. I mean, it's, it's just, and of course it's in their interest too anyway, because they make money off it. And also I'll tell you something about relationships. I think there's a shift in relationships and that comes with money naturally. Or what well, I say money, it comes with proof. And in our, in this case, the proof is money. So for example, with a bridger, once I redeemed my first one, two, two or three, one, two, three bridges with them, I paid them off and one of them was in like three months, all interest paid, no issue, nothing. I just noticed a shift, a shift down in rates and a shift up in, it's hard to explain, isn't it? But you just kind of feel when they're like, you know, they tick you, they give you a little blue tick like on Instagram, right? And that happens with estate agents, happens with everyone. The second you're, you prove to them and via money in, the, in these situations that you are doing what you say you're doing, it, it shifts and it's very subtle, but you can kind of notice it. So when people are starting out and they're like, oh, we're not getting deals, we're not getting this, you know, relationships were trying really hard. It is still going to take time to reach that little shift. You know, it's like an activation energy for an enzyme. If anyone studied science, don't nod your head. Did you study science? Who, me? Yeah. No, no, no. I spent, I spent most of my time skipping science. <laughs> I thought you were going to say skipping. I was going to say good exercise. Um, <laughs> It's like you just need a little to, to shift. And then after that, you will just be like, whoa, this was the shift I was waiting for. And then it just gets better and better. But it doesn't happen at the start because how do they know that James is not chatting shit? How do they know that I'm not chatting shit? How do they know that we're just not going to buy one house and be like, yeah, thanks, bye. You know, so it's also about proving to them uh, these sort of things. So good people, how, okay, let's say you meet someone, right? At a networking event, James. And obviously you meet your fans of your podcast at networking events. I've seen many, many, many people flock to you. Are you J2 Hub? Are you, are you James? What kind of name is that? So hotel. Yeah. I've heard them saying that. Uh, <laughs> you're laughing. Cause it's true. I've, I've seen them mate. literally. So can you sign my t-shirt James? Uh, the thing is, right? Like when you meet someone at a networking event, in your opinion, how can you tell? Because I think you can tell pretty quickly with people if they're going to be a good person or if there's going to like what I'm saying is for people listening, when they meet someone, are there any telltale signs of sort of how they are as a person? This might seem really obvious. Well, do you know what? I'll, let me give you an example. Uh, obviously Theo on here. 
you know, Theo, I'd class as one of the power team. He, he, um, he managed the whole HMO for me, you know, back to brick renovation. And I met Frio, CEO through a Facebook group. You know, it was pretty much looking at a property that I wanted to purchase and just going onto Facebook and reaching out and trying to find people in that area. And I just happened to find this guy who had huge muscles who kept coming up over and over again as this guy who does things in my area of investment. I reached out to him. We got a conversation going. And I do think, I do feel there was a lot of analysis on Theo's end. He must have been analyzing me as a person to think, you know what? Can I work with this guy? What's he all about? What's he all about? And we had a lot of months going back and forth. And I think at one point, he must have realized, yeah, this is, we can work together. Now, I met him. I didn't physically see him the first time. We started talking about properties. I think the first time I met Theo was actually when I bought the property and we went, when we met on site on how he was going to manage the project for me. So I think, I think you, you know, when some, when you've got, you need to have that, t- you need to click with someone, you know, that's a big thing. It's, um, if you're going to be spending a lot of time together, working on a project together, there needs to be that synergy and there needs to be that click. And I think a couple of meetings, a couple of conversations and you realize whether you can work with someone or not. But going back to your point of a networking event, I would always treat a networking event as in, I want to try and meet as many people as I can at a networking event because that's the point of a networking event, yeah? And then I think when you follow up with those people, because I think a lot of people grab the old business cards at a networking event, grab the numbers, and they never really follow up or they never really do any research on a person. I think it's very important to follow up on the people you've met because you just never know. You just never know who in that room is going to fund your next project, help you design something or help you when you really, 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 really need them. Like it's the point you made in the last podcast. I would have been the last person you would have thought that could have arranged finance for a property project because we're in the same thing. So I think at networking events, speak to everybody, Mm. but don't spend too long with people, you know, maybe five, 10 minutes at a networking event, try and get details and be very polite to them and say, look, I haven't got all day to spend here talking to you. You know, you got to, you got to, you know, you can't be rude to them, but at the same token, say, look, I'm going to hit you up later on, or I'm going to check you out on Instagram and let's have a conversation down the road. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And like a lot of networking, well, at least right now is going to be online, but even generally, I think pre-corona, there's still a huge amount of networking going online. We met online. We met online. I think looking at people. No, no, no. Let, 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 let me tell you how we met. I'm going to tell this story because this is a proper, proper Ted story. So I was on a Facebook group and I posted that I had a free ticket, free, free, free ticket to a 10X event. And uh, who do you think responded? <laughs> Mr. Barney drinking Ted himself. Response, I'll take the ticket. I'll take the ticket. I'll take the ticket. So <laughs> this is how me and him met. And we were, we were, we sat at this 10x event together, and uh, yeah, that's how the relationship started. And <laughs> unfortunately, we can't get rid of each other now. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember I had to like, I had to help you get up because your back was so bad. I had to carry your stuff, Uncle. Yeah, I was very. I had to yeah, yeah, no, no, care. no. I yeah. actually damaged my back, so I couldn't do the whole two days. But we still made it to Nando's for a munch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was a totally utterly shit event. Anyway, full of full of fraudsters. But anyways, um, good networking, good pictures as well. Got some good selfies there. I'll tell you that. Uh, so, um, speaking of good people, 
Mohit has a question, which is about good people, so I was going to ask it. Wait, was I saying something before? I can't remember. You were, how we met or something. Oh, yeah. So about networking, yeah. I think there's, I think your gut feeling and intuition speaks volumes when you meet someone. Like, yeah, like you said, you never know, you know, like what's going to happen, who's going to help you, how they're going to help you. But like, without a doubt, your gut tells you a lot at the start. So listen to it. Don't sort of take it as gospel, but listen to it because I promise you that feeling you get when you meet someone you get along with and you like, and you, you know, and then someone you don't, it tells you something, right? So pay attention to your gut. Uh, so Mode's question is, uh, in your first couple of deals, did some stalking, big up. Did you use a sourcing agent? Sourcing agent, so professional, I love it. And may I ask why you used one as the sourcing fees impact the ROI massively? So I used a sourcing agent on my first deal because I was working full-time in my other business and I was contracting and I was just busy and I think that's that's the main reason I just I could not make viewings I could not get over to the no I just couldn't you know me I just I just physically it was not possible at the time and I couldn't go on weekends so and a lot of these viewings they don't happen on weekends like a lot of them just happen on weekdays especially for some of these investment ones so yes it it affected the return on cash left in however my first deal I left in four grand the sourcing fee and project management fee all in extortionate was about four grand. So yes, it would have been a no money left in deal without it. But even with it, it was still, it was still pretty good. Right. Second one, second one. I can't remember why I used a sourcer then. I think it was just, I was just open to different methods and I was starting doing my own sourcing and I was just finishing my contract, I think, and my, my, my other business. So I used them. And again, this one's left in, this got valued quite nicely, actually above what I expected. I think this one leaves in like five or six grand and their sourcing fee, they didn't project manage it for me. Their sourcing fee was about 2.7. So you can see, yeah, it does impact it by, I don't know, five, 10% maybe, but this is in an area with capital appreciation. I didn't get the deal. Otherwise I know in X many years, like, is done. It's going to be a cracker. Would, would you know if this was in an area that didn't have as much capital appreciation as this one? Then would I still pay the sourcing fee potentially at that time? But I'd be way less keen because I know it. it I'm always going to have that sort of cost. Uh, how I think maybe also like how do you find a good sourcing agent? Uh, James, you you recently bought off a sourcer, so tell me what made him a good sourcer. I didn't buy nothing off a saucer. I thought your HMO in um in uh, a tea side you bought. No, 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 no. That wasn't bought off a saucer. No, that was again spotted in a spotted in an auction catalogue. Oh. Again, this time the legal pack was red. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. Fine. So then I, I thought you used one. Fine. So I think finding a good saucer for me, there's a few things. Do they have good deals? Do they put in all the details? Are they missing figures off their spreadsheet? Have they accounted for things like council tax, insurance, bills, whatever, in the time you're holding? Uh, do they know their area well? You know, is this a deal that, well, they would invest in themselves? And they may not because they haven't got the money or blah, blah, blah. But would they invest in themselves? I like them having a brand because having a brand and a profile is a double-edged sword. If you mess up, right, there's something sort of that can be damaged. So it's kind of insurance for you as someone buying the bigger the brand a sourcer has, the more protected you are because they're less likely to send crap deals. They're more likely to rescue any efforts that went wrong because of the impending damage, right? So it might sound bad, but 
you have to protect yourself, right? So those are the really important things for me. I think also, like when it comes to sources, I've had sources send me deals and they've all stopped sending me deals. I wonder why. Because they send me a deal and I'd say, I recognize that fireplace. I recognize, I recognize this picture. And I was like, these are such estate agent pictures. So there's two things here. You reverse Google image search to find what the hell this, this is. Or you go on to right move, you look in the area. Oh, they're selling me a deal at 65K. Oh, they've secured it at 65K. It's on the market at 70K and it's not sold STC. And their sourcing fee is three grand and their project management is one grand. So all in all, they've got me a one grand discount for something that's on the market. Now, once I've had this happen and I knew the agent and I called them and said, hey, just, hey, you know that property, Scott Street, we mentioned it before. You know, can I view it? Is it open to offers? Yeah, mate, come down on Saturday, open to offers. Put the phone down. I was like, okay. So they're sending me a deal that's been secured at one grand discount, really all in, but I can actually go get it myself. I was like, y'all must be stupid so don't buy from sources who send you dumb shit like that get the email and say and i said to this sourcer this is on right move i said to you send me off market deals if you like but don't send me your market stuff and i said look they're both they're both open to offers what are you on about and then never sent me a deal since and this happens with all sources so like don't just be like oh my god they sent me the deal i have to buy it with them i have to. at the end of the day <laughs> like if it's on the market and they haven't secured it, it's not theirs and you haven't signed a contract. So don't get into any confusion or feel bad because they're shit. Like, again, I'm sounding like blunt and rude, but it is what it is. Like, why would you pay? Like if James said, oh, I've got a house for you, by the way, here it is, look, all packaged up, but it's on right move. So if you want to go to the, you know, why would you, you wouldn't pay James anything. Give him 50 quid for bringing your attention to it, but you wouldn't pay him anything. So yeah. yeah, just to add, just to add to that as well, um, a good deal sourcer should be fully compliant as well. From what mm. I've heard, I've been doing some research into uh, deal sources, and there are some compliances that they need to be following. And I think it costs them about fifteen hundred to two grand to become fully compliant. And you know, you can you wow. can do a quick search just to find out what those compliances are. I can't remember off the top of my head. I might I'll add it later on to Facebook or something. But yeah, a good deal sourcer needs to be fully compliant. And if they are compliant, you be able to tell that they've gone above and beyond to make sure that they've set themselves up properly before they go away and do it. And in the case of Mohit, Mohit, I know you work a full-time job, mate. So a deal sourcer might be pretty damn good for you because it's going to save you a lot of time. Or the other thing is you set up some criteria on what you're looking for and you get a virtual assistant to sieve through and do that all for you and find you the properties you need and actually even set the meetings up for you you know, set their meetings up for you, uh, the viewings up for you all in one bulk. And, uh, uh, and you know, you, you saved yourself a hell of a lot of time because you work full time. Now that hot little tip, I'll tell you who I learned that from. I learned that from Mr. Hodge, who's also on this talk here. Big Mr. Up. Rob Hodge. Yeah, big him up, man. He taught me that tip over on his um, HMO day. So yeah, nice little tip there, guy. Maybe uh, get yourself a, a VA who can do all the monkey work for you and you just turn up and view everything that's within your criteria. Yeah, I would do that. I'm doing something similar. And yeah, Rob, my interior design consultant, has uh, has definitely shared that shared that with us. Right, James, I think it's been over an hour. Has it? Woo-hoo. You got the recording. Yes, yeah, yeah. An hour so, and 15. So uh, I've just asked if anyone has any questions. Uh, I think there was one earlier that I was going to ask, but I don't know if there was. And then we can, we can log off. Uh, 
There was a question. Nope. 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 Mortgage holidays has just come up. Uh, okay, my, my quick opinion, Ivan, on mortgage holidays is if your rent's not getting paid and it's putting you in financial difficulty, then I think it's just a no-brainer to take it because we're in such unprecedented times. If the rent's being paid and everything's groovy and or you can kind of get away with it, I personally wouldn't, only because of maybe an, an assumption, not necessarily a good thing here, that banks and the government are you know what what they are and there will be a judgment right as in there'll be a not a on the books judgment but a sort of the lenders will say oh you needed a holiday did you okay we see you whereas i think if you didn't take a holiday and you come out of it you can say what i didn't need i didn't need a holiday so when it comes to lending or bridges you can say I'm good. I, I came through this and I didn't, I didn't bother you once. So now let's talk about better rates or better agreements. Or So I think there's going to be some leverage, but that doesn't mean you should put yourself in financial ruin just to then have a bit of maybe leverage or, or argument to get better rates and better deals, you know? So it depends Jay, on your Jay, situation. Just, just to add to that, mate, I've, I've, I've taken mortgage holidays on free products that I've got uh, mm. with Birmingham Midshires and they actually contacted me and said, look, uh, how's things going? And I thought, whoa, for a, for a you know, mortgage company to contact you and say, are you okay? Is everything good? Yeah. Um, and they said, look, we're, we're offering a free month mortgage holidays. We can see that you know, you've been a client for X amount of years and things are all good. Would you like to take this up? And I'm thinking, I've already got some issues with some rent coming in. This was within a couple of days of the coronavirus being introduced and all that. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to take this up because more so than anything, I wanted to make sure that my next 90 days, 120 days, my cash flow planning was tight. You know, mm. it's lean. And if it means that a mortgage holiday is going to allow me to free me up with a few, you know, several thousands of pounds each month. And the way they actually calculate how you repay it, it only ends up being, it doesn't end up being that much more on your following payments to make that up. Mm. And one of the things she said to me was she goes, I asked her categorically, does this affect my credit? And she said, no, if you cancel your direct, debit payment that's when you're 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 kind of staying they get a ping on their side saying that look you're kind of refusing to make a payment so she said as long as you don't do that you're all good and i have this in writing from them so i would say to people who are worried about their credit make sure your broker puts this in writing to you now um, if you're trying to speak to your brokers don't be surprised if you're waiting three or four hours sorry not your brokers your lenders three or four hours on the phone that's mm-hmm. the given time at the moment. Or if you're in a queue list, you don't be surprised if it says you're number 22,000 in a list because <laughs> they're the kind of wait times you're going to get. You just got to persevere with it. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, one last question from... Who's this James Sohota guy? Anyone wanting to follow me can. Ugh, what can do? Okay. What's that on your face? A big spot. Hey, get some moisturizer. <laughs> Bastard, I'm exfoliating. Uh, Freddie says, in regards to deposit for a flip, can you use a personal loan for a deposit? Mm, no, technically not because the, well, it depends on your solicitor. Some solicitors are just like, yeah, show me your, show me your bank statement. Cheers, mate. Some solicitors are like, here's a form you fill out. You must declare for anti-money laundering where your money's from. And uh, yeah, I think you will break the terms of your personal loan using it for a deposit. Because I think a lot of them say you can't use it for something sensible like a house. You can use it for cars and TVs and shit. So I would be very careful with that, Freddie. I would speak to a solicitor and say, look, what's the deal? 
And look, people do do it, don't get me wrong, but they just have a certain type of solicitor who's a bit more lax on their part. But technically, I believe it's loan fraud or you're breaking the terms of your contract and they can call a loan in at any time, they find out, and then you're left with a hole. So it's not the best thing to do it. And I'm sure it's not necessarily legal. Mm. Right. Uh, do we conclude? Yeah, I think so. Amazing. Well, should I conclude or would you like to conclude this time? I'll I'll leave it to you, sir. Thank you very much. So thank you everyone for joining us on this live The Property Duo show. Uh, We'll be doing this probably next week, same sort of time, I guess. If depending on James's James's diary and his kids and all that stuff, he's he's a proper adult. Uh, So thank (laughs) you for joining us. Uh, if you have any questions following this chat, just just reach out to me and James separately. I think most of you follow us on, on social media. And for everyone listening and watching at home, thank you very much for tuning in. I hope this has been helpful. Please like, subscribe, and leave a comment. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the J2 Hub podcast with James Sahota. If you like the podcast, feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.